All right, folks, thank you for being here tonight. Grab your hymn book now. Uh, we're going to do my two favorite hymns, page 397, my favorite hymn in all of hymndom, Little is Much, When God is in It. Let's stand and do the first, second, and last. Actually, we're going to do all four verses tonight. Page 397, Little is Much, When God is in It. Let's get ready to sing together this evening. In the harvest field now ripen, there's a work for all to do. Hark the voice of God is calling to the harvest. Gonna sing it now. of this song because it reminds us that regardless of our age, our place, or our position in life, there is always a place of service for the child of God. Let's sing the third verse together this evening. Does the are you laid? Are you laid aside from this body worn and toil and care? You can still be in the battle in the sacred place of you're glad tonight whatever you do for the Lord counts amen let's remain standing for prayer pray for the horse leash tonight uh, brother Ken texted me just a few minutes before service apologizing for his absence and uh, lots that they're dealing with tonight and I told him we sure understand those of you who've uh, buried loved ones you know that the work often comes after the service after the burial after the funeral and that's what they're facing right now so pray for them and let me just also extend my appreciation to the church uh, for those that came out either Monday night or yesterday I appreciate you showing your support for brother Ken as the assistant pastor and of course sister Betty and her family as well and good news to report two young folks were saved yesterday at the service uh, young folks they're adults amen uh, we shared, Brother Ken shared, Brother Ken did a, such a good job at the service yesterday. 
The hardest thing I've ever done is a funeral for my mother, but boy, he did a great job. And uh, as he shared, Sister Betty's dying request was the salvation of her family. And I know she rejoiced when those two precious souls got saved yesterday. Amen. Outspoken prayer requests on my left tonight want to share. Anybody this evening on this side of the building on my left? Yes, sir. Brother Darrell. Amen. Absolutely, brother. Appreciate that. Somebody else on my left? Yes, sir. Brother Rufus. Amen, buddy. You betcha. Anyone else on my left? Anyone else? In the middle tonight, want to share a special request? Yes, ma'am? Absolutely, and I don't think she'd mind me sharing this. Pray for Courtney. She's battling morning sickness because of the baby. Uh, she would appreciate your prayers. I know some of you know this story, but i got to tell you anyway. Um, this is how my wife fixed this. Uh, when she was pregnant with James, we were in our trailer and uh, getting ready for Sunday night services, uh, uh, pregnant with the first child. She comes running through the house, uh, uh, and I said, Baby, what's wrong? What's wrong? She said, I'm about to be sick everywhere. She opens the refrigerator, grabs a jar of dill pickles, and chugs the juice. Let's out this, this gargantuan man-sized belch, and she says, I feel so much better. I said, well, that's great, because I'm now I'm about to be sick. Amen. <laughs> All right, somebody else in the middle. Yes, sir, we'll go front to back. Yes, sir. Absolutely, Brother Cassidy, appreciate that. Yes, sir, Brother Biggs. Amen. Thank you, my friend. Yes, ma'am, Miss Georgie, we're glad to see y'all back tonight. Bless your heart. What's your request? Amen. Absolutely, absolutely. Sister Helbert. Pray for that. Thank you so much, Miss Helbert. Yes, ma'am, Miss Betty. Amen. Amen. They sure do. You better believe it. Yes, sir, Brother Keith. Amen. Sister Connie. Amen. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Somebody else in the middle tonight want to share. Brother C.W., glad to see you all back as well. Bless your heart. Go ahead, buddy. Absolutely. Appreciate that. Somebody else. Yes, sir. Goodness. All right, remember that. Thank you, my friend. Anybody else in the middle tonight? Let's go on my right this evening want to share. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. I don't know if y'all saw this or not, but uh, there at the local hospital there in Bristol, uh, one of the nursing uh, directors over all of the nursing uh, got saved in the first week. So he arranged to bring CT to the hospital to witness to all the nurses. Amen. I love it. Love it. Love it. Somebody else on my right. Yes, we'll go front to back. Yes, ma'am. 
Amen. Absolutely, Sister Miss Pam. Absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody else on my right. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Thank you, Miss Miss Cassidy. Somebody else tonight. Yes, ma'am. All right. Thank you, sister. Anybody else? Thank you for all of these tonight. Josh, come on up to the pulpit, if you would, and pray for us. Yes, ma'am. Oh, pray for Sister April. Had to have some eye shots today. Remember her. Appreciate that. Anybody else uh, that I overlooked tonight besides my wife hollering at me? Amen. Anybody else tonight? Josh, uh, give him this microphone. Take us to the throne of grace, and let's pray together tonight while Josh leads us this evening. Pray for us, buddy. touch us and just be with us throughout the rest of this service lord in christ's name i pray amen amen thank you josh 246 in your hymn book my other favorite hymn i think you know the words to this one but if you don't uh, uh you turn to page 246 fanny crosby classic redeemed how i love to proclaim it we'll do a couple of verses tonight page 246 here we go page 246 redeemed how i love to proclaim it Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. For it. Do verse number three, redeemed and so happy. Redeemed and so happy. Verse two, Jesus, no language my rapture can tell. Know that the light of his amen with me doth continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Child and forever I am. All right, fellowship with each other, shake hands, uh, welcome folks out this evening.
appreciate that. Uh, turn in your Bibles tonight uh, to the book of Exodus, and let me have the ushers make your way down this evening. Turn in your Bibles now to the book of Exodus, please. Chapter number 33 is where we'll be looking tonight. Ushers, make your way down. If you haven't worshipped the Lord with tithes and offerings, you can do that now. And we're going to get into the Word for a little bit this evening. Father, bless the offering. And Lord, most especially bless our Bible study time to come. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much, fellas. Appreciate that. Uh, and ladies for playing for us. Exodus chapter number 33 tonight, if you would. Exodus chapter number 33 tonight is where we'll be looking. Uh, I'm going to continue uh, where we started last week or, uh, with a uh, kind of a deep dive, if you will, into working our way through spiritual discouragement. Uh, I know that's a strange topic for a Wednesday night series, especially during the summer, but uh, I am more convinced than ever that our church pews today are empty because of people who were once engaged but got discouraged because of something or someone and are now out of service or of fellowship with God. I also want to be clear with us tonight, spiritual discouragement is the battle for every believer. As much as we all battle temptation, we all battle this notion of spiritual discouragement. And if we're not careful, spiritual discouragement becomes despondency, which in its ultimate becomes depression, and somebody is altogether quit on God. I said to you last week, and I want to say again tonight, I don't ever want my work for the Lord to be talked about in the past tense. I don't want to be a used to be. I don't always have to be pastoring, but I don't want my work for God to be something that's talked about as what he used to do or what he used to be involved in. God's too good to me to quit on him now. I've come too far to turn back. And so we all have to battle this thing of being spiritually encouraged, spiritually motivated, and not allowing the forces of the enemy to deter us off the spiritual path way. If we're honest, we all face it. If we're honest, we all battle it. More often than not, as I shared last week, it comes from two areas, people and circumstances. The circumstances of life discourage us and people discourage us. And I'm going to be honest, more often than not, it's God's people that are the source of discouragement, not the lost crowd. So we're going to look tonight at a classic example of of how we work through discouragement. When I was first uh, putting this together, I had originally entitled uh, the little series, The Cure for Discouragement, but as I was thinking about it and praying about it, I quickly realized there is no such thing as a cure for discouragement. What do you mean, preacher? There's no special verse. 
There's no magic prayer. There's no special things that you do that are automatically guaranteed to snap you out of it. There is simply a process that you have to go through in order to work your way out and through this period of discouragement. So that's what I've actually titled the message and the series, Working Through Discouragement. There's no better example. Last week we looked at the New Testament and Paul. And I gave you the example of how Paul uh, was certainly, of all men, uh, had the right to grow uh, cold on God, but he stayed on the firing line week in and week out. But I want to flip tonight to the Old Testament and give you what is, I think, the archetypal example. By that I mean the best example in Scripture of how you uh, deal uh, with discouragement. By that I mean this man that we all know as the leader of the Israelites, the one who, humanly speaking, would bring them out of Egypt, uh, spend the better part of his life leading this group of what he called stiff-necked people through the wilderness to the promised land, uh, battling problem after problem after problem. Uh, and our Bible is replete with examples of how and when he got discouraged. And so I want you to put this in context tonight. Moses has just spent time on top of Mount Sinai with God. You heard me say before, and I want to say again, those mountaintop experiences when we get to really experience God make life wonderful. But you and I also know that you can't always live there. We have to work, we have to live, we have to interact And in so doing, sometimes we get tipped right off the mountaintop and the joys of yesterday become the burdens of today. Moses has spent time with God. He has communed with God. He has fellowshiped with God. He's had literally a one-on-one experience with the God of this universe and he comes back down the mountain with the tables of stone in his hand ready to deliver God's word to God's people and what he finds discourages him. What he finds is a group of Jews who have turned their back on God, who have given themselves over to idolatry, who have walked away from the very things that, 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 that Moses taught them and are now reverting back to the very lifestyle that God brought them out of. Listen now. When he looks at those people, he gets discouraged. And in fact, he gets downright angry. He gets mad. He, 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 he does some things that he later comes to regret. I'll pause just a moment and say simply this. We have to be very careful about this decision-making process during times of discouragement. We will do and say things uh, that we know we shouldn't do and say uh, when things are not going like they ought to go. Moses is, again, an archetypal example of what happens. So let's begin reading, if we can, in chapter 33. We'll start in verse number 12. Notice what he says. Moses said unto the Lord, See, 
Thou mayest or thou sayest unto me, bring up this people. Whom, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by thy name. And thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, please look at verse 13. If I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. He said, this is God speaking now to Moses, my presence shall go with me, with thee, and I will give thee rest. He said unto him, now this is Moses speaking to God, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the earth that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Keep reading. And he said, verse 18, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. May I pause just a moment and ask you an important question. We're not done reading, but I want to ask you an important question. What does the word beseech mean, class? Beg. Plead. Moses literally pleading recognizing his own place of spiritual discouragement, says, Lord, I am pleading with you, show me your glory. Show me your presence. I believe in the back of Moses' mind, he knew that if he was going to work through this period of spiritual discouragement, he had to experience the presence and the glory of God. I want you to understand something tonight, church. It's going to be the heart of the message. We will never, 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 never get over spiritual discouragement by running away from God. I know it's the temptation. I know it's what the enemy tries to convince us. But running away from the very God you love is never the answer to getting back in fellowship with God. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. And he said, that he there is God now speaking to Moses. I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not... See my face, for there shall no man see me and live. As the, and the Lord said, Behold, circle this verse, church. Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, 
that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand and thou shalt see my backside, but my face shall not be seen. Three things that I want you to notice about this incredible passage. Number one, look with me, if you would, at the request that Moses made. The request that Moses made. You understand tonight that he asks something that no one else heretofore that we know of has ever asked. Up until this point, as far as we know, no one has ever asked to see or experience the full glory of God. We know that there were previous Old Testament characters who walked with God. Adam was one. We know that Adam spoke with God in the cool of the day. We know that Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. But as far as we know, there had never been up to this point anybody who had simply said, God, I need to see all of you in order to break out of this spiritual funk that I'm in. Why did Moses get there? What happened? Well, I want you to notice his duty, the duty that he was called to. It was Moses' job to lead to what we think is about 2.5 million Jews through the wilderness. Think about that for just a second. 2.5 million people were under his responsibility. They were called upon to follow him, called upon to supply his needs, called upon to support him. And you know this if you've been in church any length of time. At every juncture and at every situation and every circumstance they could, they found an opportunity to rebel and blame Moses. When they didn't like the manna, they blamed Moses. When it got too hot, they blamed Moses. When it was too cold, they blamed Moses. Uh, when they didn't have enough water, they blamed Moses. Uh, when they didn't have enough meat, they blamed Moses. Uh, Moses, Moses, Moses. And when you go back and look at his original commission, Moses did not want to do this. Let's be clear, folks. Uh, Moses did not sign on the dotted line the moment he was asked. Uh, Moses came up with every situation and every excuse he could think of to say, go find somebody else. But God called Moses. Moses was obedient. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Obedient people get discouraged. Why does that matter? Brother, turn me down just a little bit, if you would. Obedient people get discouraged. Why does that matter? Because I, I understand. I've been in church most of my life, 40-plus years. Been pastoring now for 17-plus years. And I have come to realize that sometimes when people get discouraged, uh, there are some well-intentioned believers who turn their noses up at them. There are some holier-than-thou types who look at these folks and think, well, they must have been out in sin. They must have been doing something wrong. The reality is, folks, even the best of us at times get discouraged. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better believer than Moses or Paul. 
and in different situations and at different times, both of those men got discouraged. If they get discouraged, how much more do we think we're going to be in ourselves in that situation? The duty of Moses. But understand tonight that that duty quickly became his discouragement. We all know what was happening. We know the situation. We know the golden calf. We know what Aaron, his own brother-in-law, had betrayed him. We know the circumstances surrounding, but I want to kind of summarize all of this in one big bow if I can. I think after months of being in the wilderness, having now experienced the most important mountaintop moment of his life where God gives the holy sacred law, he's now ready to bring it down to God's people and he sees everything falling apart. Everything falling apart. Everything falling apart. There is nothing that will discourage any of us more than circumstances ripping our world apart. I've talked to pastors. I've talked to deacons. I've talked to normal people who have sat in my office or talked to me on the phone And the situations and the circumstances of their life have got them to a place where they are simply coming apart at the seams. And some of you are nodding your head because you've walked that valley a few times. You know what it's like uh, to see everything that you've worked for uh, suddenly going up in flames. You know what it's like uh, to see everything that you strive for uh, suddenly falling apart. Uh, And I believe, uh, though Moses never utters it, uh, if given the option, uh, Moses would now sign up on the dotted line to quit this job. If Moses were given the opportunity uh, when he comes back down the mountain uh, and he sees Aaron and he sees the golden calf and he sees the mess that they've gotten themselves back into, uh, I I can't help but think uh, that Moses might just look up to God and sing the old Johnny Paycheck song, Lord, take this job and you know the rest. Amen. You heathens, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, there's a reason I knew it was Johnny Paycheck. My mama loved him. Amen. In Jesus' name. When Moses got to that point, he was very wise. Moses was smart enough to know that, listen church, now is not the time to run. Hold your place there in chapter 32. Quickly look at chapter 33 if you would. Or excuse me, look at chapter 33, that's where you are. But you can hold your place in 32. We're going back to that too. But look at verse 33. Here's what Moses says. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way. Why? 33 verse 13, folks. Sorry. 33 verse 13. Moses says, show me now thy way. Why? That I may Know thee. Show me your way, Lord. Why? That I may know thee. Verse 15. Moses asks to be in the presence of God. Verse 18. Moses asks to experience the glory of God. Here's where I think a lot of good, godly people really mess up. I say this with complete respect. 
Because again, we can all find ourselves in this same situation. When we do, the last thing you need to do is quit on God. I've seen so many people because of circumstances, because of people, because of problems, uh, they kind of retreat from church. Uh, and before you know it, uh, they're retreating from God. Uh, and the next thing you know, uh, they're out of church altogether. Uh, their life is spiraling out of control uh, when it should have been stopped at the moment discouragement came. The biggest mistake we can make when discouragement comes to want to seek less of God, when it is at that moment that we need more of God than ever before. There's the request. Number two, there's the response. I love how God answers. Can we just say amen to this? God loves his people. God loves his people. I never cease to be amazed at how Baptists chastise, but God loves Churches sometimes beat up, but God loves. Don't misunderstand me. There are times when there has to be a little bit of chastisement for all of us, but God loves his people. He makes a promise. He agrees with the request of Moses. Remember, nobody's asked for this before. Moses didn't have any history to lean on that any prophet of old had ever experienced this. I don't even know how he thought that God would do this. I mean, how do you ask the one that spoke this universe into existence to say, I want to sit down beside you and chat a little while? But Moses does. And God says, okay. If that's what you need, that's what I'll give you. I don't know about you, but that blesses my heart. Because Moses didn't quit on God, because Moses didn't run from God, because Moses would not turn from God, he says, God, here's what I need. And God says, then that's what I'll give you. Why does God agree to that? Why would the God of the universe agree to sit down and fellowship just a little bit uh, with somebody like Moses? Because in verse number 17, God tells Moses, You have found grace in my sight. If you've been saved tonight, say amen. You found grace. God gave you a good old-fashioned dose of grace, and that means that when you get in these situations, that whatever you need, he's got it if you'll just stick with him. Far too many people quit before God ever can show them what he's got, but if you'll stick with him, he's got exactly what you need. Notice, he gives a promise. Verses 19 and 20. Let's look at them together. Chapter 33. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. Nobody's seen it before. No one's experienced it before. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then God gives Moses a very important statement that Moses has to understand. He said, Thou canst not see my face and live. For no man, excuse me, for no man shall see me and live. By the way, church, that's one of the reasons why we, why we get to and have to have a glorified body when we get to heaven. 
Because this old fleshly body can't look upon the glory of God and survive. But, honey, our heavenly body sure can. So God says to Moses, yes, I'm coming to where you are. I'm going to pass by you, and I'm going to show you my entire goodness. I'm going to tell you my name, but you need to know something, Moses. You can't see my face. For if I show you my face, I'm paraphrasing, he says, you can't handle it. No man can. You can't process it Uh, you can't cognitively comprehend it Uh, you can't function if I show you everything so know that going in here's what I want you to get out of it folks Uh, just a little drop of God is sometimes all we need just a amen (laughs) just a little drop of Jesus is sometimes enough uh, to get us over the hump uh, to the face of the next trial notice not only do you see what he describes as a promise, we also seize the place. I love this. I love this. God says to Moses, in order for you to get the best view possible, you need to get somewhere. You need to plant yourself upon a rock. And then he says, when I get real close, you need to get in the cliff of the rock. Look, if you would, please, at verse 21. Same chapter. The Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me. Thou shalt stand upon a rock. Verse 22. It shall come to pass while my glory passeth by. He doesn't say, Moses. You need to turn and go to the cliff of the rock. He says, I'm going to put you in the cliff of the rock. Amen. So I want you to notice, God says, Moses, in order to see me, you got to stand up on the rock. I'm not one who likes to put typology where typology is not there, but I think I'm correct when I say this. If we're ever going to experience God, we will only do it by standing upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. This rock is Jesus. Uh, Yes, he's the one, the only one. And then he says, as my glory gets closer, he doesn't say, Moses, you've got to run to, you've got to get into. He says, I will place you in the cliff of the rock. I had to look that up just to make sure I'm giving you the correct definition. Because the cleft of the rock is defined as a narrow crevice that allows us to go further in. God says to Moses, you want to get through your discouragement, stand on the rock. And the closer I get to you, I'm going to put you more and more and more and deeper into the cleft of the rock. And if I'm Moses, I'm saying, wait a minute, Lord. If I'm going on the inside, how can I see you? You're on the outside. I believe that's for us. Because as New Testament believers, we understand that the rock is Jesus. We also know that precious hymn that we sing, He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock and covers me there with His hand. And covers me there with His hand. 
as the glory of God passes by, God takes Moses and puts him in the cleft of the rock, which is nothing other than a beautiful image of us diving deep into Jesus. And he covers Moses as a way to protect him from what's about to happen. You know, folks, one of the greatest ways to get through discouragement is to get deep into Jesus. To get deep into Jesus. Because the deeper you get in Him, the lighter the load becomes. Let me give you the last part of this tonight. We go from Number one, the request. Number two, a response. Now what we don't see in this chapter is what I'm calling number three, the results. What happened? Well, we, we, we read in verse number 23 that God keeps his promise. You keep reading, you know, God keeps his promise. He did exactly what he said he's going to do. Let's pause and say amen that God's a God of a promise keeper. Amen. What he says he's going to do, he does. Listen now to what I'm about to say. Moses was never the same. Moses was never the same. Why? I'm going to give you Gregology. I, I, I don't think it was as much because the glory of God passed by as it was, God hid him in the cleft of the rock. And as God hid him there in what we know of as Jesus, Moses comes out recharged, refired, and ready to do the will of God. Jump, if you would, please, to chapter 34. You understand tonight that when we get to witness the presence of God, when we get to experience some of those mountaintop services or some of the times in our life where we're having our one-on-one -on -one devotion with God and we can feel the presence of God with us, when we get to experience that, we're never the same. I think of it as like a drug. I say this all the time. I, 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 I've been in so many godly services that I just don't want to be where God's not. He's not there. I don't want to be there. Look at Moses. Look at what he experienced. Chapter 34, verse number 8. Moses. Now let's go back out. Look at verse number... Let's go to verse 5. It's all good. The Lord descended in the cloud, stood with him there, proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by before him, proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Ooh, that's a good name. Amen. Keeping mercy, he goes on, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and, and, and that by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children under the third and fourth generation. All of that's just his name. God said, I'm going to give you my name, and honey, does he ever give him one? Amen. Then he, verse number 8. After it was all done, Moses climbs out of the cliff. Bible says Moses made haste. 
Here's the first thing he did. Bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And worshipped. You see, folks, I think in that moment, Moses made a grand and glorious discovery that would keep him fired up for the rest of this journey. Yes, Moses would have more battles. Yes, Moses would have more trials. But you will not read again where Moses gets to this level of discouragement ever in his Christian life again or in his life of following God again. Why? Because I believe in this moment he realizes that genuine worship is not about him but is all about God. That real godly worship is all about us ascribing worth to the one who created us. Have you ever noticed the more you worship God, the less burdened you become? I don't know about you. I'm just going to be blunt. I had a preacher... Uh, that I emulate, Brother Joe Arthur, tell me years and years and years ago, gave me some wonderful advice. He said, it doesn't matter what kind of horrible, bad week, month, day, or year you're having. Uh, the moment you mount that pulpit, uh, you have got to be a cheerleader. Nobody can know that you're having a bad day. He's right. Because you don't come to church uh, to come listen to a preacher say, woe is me, how bad things are for me. But can I be honest? There have been a few days I've walked into church. I didn't want to preach. Don't look at me crazy. Any preacher who tells you otherwise is lying, lying, lying. There are times where I've walked in and I've been burdened, but I have to tell you, by the time the choir sung and the congregation sung and the special music and a saint of God lifted a hand and somebody shouted, the discouragement that I felt when I walked in got replaced with joy unspeakable and full of glory long before I ever mounted the pulpit. Why? Because when we worship, listen, we get our minds off of us and get our minds fixed on him. Go to verse 29, please. Nearly done. Chapter 34, verse 29. Came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount that Moses wist not, that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. The word shone is the past tense of the word shine. Uh, King James translators correctly translated it that way. We don't use it uh, in that part of simple phrase anymore. We use shined now. Uh, but to shone is the past tense of shine. Can I give it to you in another way? Uh, when Moses came down from the mountaintop, he did not have to say, Hey, y'all, I've been with God. Everybody knew it. All they had to do was look at him. There was something about him that glowed with the glory of God. Can I, can I be real blunt? I want to be one of those people. The world has enough people who are discouraging and depressing to be around. Amen. And some of them claim to be believers. But you get around them and they are despondent, despaired, and depressing, and they delight in depressing others. I'm not being unkind, I'm just being real. I want to be somebody 
who when others get around, they say, he exudes God. I feel closer to, conversely, you know of people that when you get near them, you feel the presence of God. I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be. Let me give you the last thought. He experienced worship. His face shone. He had a great change. And finally, look at verse 34. Last thing. He had a great, genuine relationship. When Moses went in before the Lord, if I go back to verse 33, till Moses had done speaking with him, he put a veil on his face. <laughs> In fact, he glowed so much that he had to walk around with a veil covering his face. Shown so much that he had to literally cover himself. Verse 35, 34, Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him. He took the veil off until he came out came out and spake to the children of Israel, that which he was commanded. The children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. Do you catch that? Moses had not experienced this before. Not in this capacity. But daily, day in, he goes in to talk to God. Takes the veil off. Goes out to the people and says, here's what God said, folks. He had to put the veil on his face because he's a shining. He goes in, takes the veil off. says, God, here's what my day was like. How was yours? And the two of them commune and talk just like buddies, like Abba Father, Paul says. He gets the word from God. He goes out to the people, puts the veil on. Here's what God said today, folks. Why? Because he experienced the glory of God. Here's the number one takeaway. When discouragement comes, when you get despondent, when those circumstances or those people irk the snot out of you, say amen right there, that's the time to go to the cleft of the rock. That's the time to get deeper and deeper and deeper in God. And maybe, just maybe, when you come out, God's going to send somebody along your pathway who's experiencing his or her own little moment of depression or discouragement. And they're going to look at you and realize that you got something they need. What is it? A little dose of Jesus. Let's stand to our feet tonight. I got three or four more of these messages we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Working our way through discouragement. Keeping on the firing line. Keeping, keeping fortified for the cause of Christ. If you're here tonight, and I know a lot of folks came last Wednesday night, but you want to slip up to this altar. Because uh, you've got some things you're battling. Nobody's looking. You want to just come on up to this altar tonight. You can pray where you are, but if you want to pray at the altar, it's open. I'm going to dismiss this in prayer. And I encourage you to pray with us right where you are, whether it's on the altar or there at your pew. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this story. Lord, I need it. I need to be reminded that there is a cleft of the rock for God's people. Lord, I, I need to be reminded that 
when we are like Job. And Lord, we're physically worn out. When we're like Elijah. Lord, when we're like prophets of like David. Lord, when we're like Jonah. And when we're just beat up. There's a place where we can hide. And receive nourishment. Receive the goodness of God. Lord, it's my desire over the next several weeks as we look at various verses that speak of discouragement. Lord, you'll help us all in those moments where the enemy wants to rob us of our joy that instead of running away from God, we run to God. Lord, that we become like Moses and say, Lord, in this moment, I need you. Show me your glory one more time. Lord, thank you for this church. Doors that are open on a Wednesday night and folks who are here ready to hear from heaven. Bless us this week. Bless our Sunday services as we once again assemble ourselves together. Lord, well, we'll worship from the Holy Book one more time. Lord, thank you for the two precious souls that were saved in these pews yesterday. Lord, I'd sure love it if you'd give us some more this Sunday. Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for coming out. On this Wednesday night, have a great week.